Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friend, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, which is in um, the Chicago suburbs. So we're glad you're with us today. And uh, we have a kind of a big lineup. It's the beginning of the year. Great time for everybody to, you know, make some changes, start a new diet, perhaps maybe detox. We found ourselves in a unique situation because we recently had to do a rabies shot on our dog. And ever since that rabies shot, we've just seen a progression of worse and worse itching and um, kind of smelly ears. And things just aren't seeming to get any better. In fact, actually, they're worse because he has a big hot spot now that he just can't leave alone. So it's, um, you know, kind of a, a bad situation for this animal at home. And I can totally relate to everybody. In fact, our, our daughter and our kids are like, now you know all those people who come in with those itching animals. <laughs> We're living it now. Right. That's <laughs> the poor sure. guy. He's so miserable. He's the cutest dog. His name's Benjo. He's a golden retriever. And um, it wouldn't be the first golden retriever we've had with itching problems. No. Uh, Blanche was the same way. She uh, had, mm-hmm. had itching issues. And uh, when we think about vaccinosis, uh, that's one of the thing possible things that we can run into, um, especially uh, a situation like Benjo when he has acute uh, skin irritation and, and uh, inflammation uh, that um, you know has an effect on the nervous system. So uh, we think about tactile feeling, and the skin has a lot of little nerve endings. And uh, vaccine, especially rabies vaccine, uh, does target the nervous system. Obviously, rabies is a neurologic virus, so it causes neurologic disease. So it it can mess with the little tactile feeling of the skin. Uh, And that can cause irritation. It feels like numbness or pins and needles. And what happens is that uh, they can start biting and chewing at the skin and create a hot spot or irritation, especially dogs who have long hair. And uh, so, uh, you know, acute skin issues, pulse vaccination can be one of those things. And we're going to talk about that in in a little bit about vaccinosis. All right. So we do have some more information about vaccinosis. Um, You know, it's not like your traditional type of vaccine reaction. So a lot of people will have vaccine reactions with their pets. And those are pretty serious. This is just more of a consequence of vaccine. Right. Right. It'd be considered in the, in the minor, um, maybe to a light stage two, um, certainly not an anaphylactic reaction, uh, which would cause a seizure event, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, um, even collapse. Uh, this is more of what they would consider a minor event. But often we think it's an allergy. Well, it technically is. They're allergic to maybe something in the vaccine or just vaccination. And so um, what happens is that, uh, you know, we can see issues related to inflammation according to how they react. Now, every dog may not react that way. uh, So we're not expecting that in every situation with vaccine, but we just have to be aware of it. Uh, Rabies vaccine is a regulated vaccination. So some pets are sensitive to it. And if they are, we can consider exemption. Um, 
as well, but it does have to be managed, uh, in, you know, as far as regulations mm-hmm. and licensing yeah. and things like that. So we had um, an incident the other day. So this is a story that's leading up to the story we just told you. So we're like two days ago in our bedroom, like looking, cause you can look down on the horse pastures from our bedroom. Cause we have um, an equine rescue. So we bring in a lot of horses from all over. We've talked about that before. And they, you know, they have lice, they have fleas, they, they come from the South. So ticks embedded in their tails, everything. So we kind of encounter a lot of different situations. Fortunately it's winter. So hopefully some of that stuff will die off. Right. Not always, but anyway, so we're standing there and I hear, Oh my gosh, look. And I'm like, what? And the horses are out. They're eating their backs or to a big, huge coyote yeah, in our pasture. Guy. And I hear, I hear Benjo just going completely crazy. And fortunately, he didn't go out and try to attack it or anything. But we do have a little fat, chubby mini horse named Cricket, who <laughs> recently came into the rescue. <laughs> she needed a new home because she kept getting out. And when she came she was getting out all the time. She shape shifts, I swear. I don't know. She's 350 pounds. She should be 250 pounds. And she's just like this little ball of attitude, 30 inches tall, just little and super cute with these furry little ears. I love her so much. And she has a dished, dented forehead. So when she was a baby, she probably put her hoof up by her forehead. And that's how her bones grew around it. So she's yeah. like so cute. Anyway, Cricket takes the lead. I mean, she goes somehow shapeshifts and gets under this fence, crawls under it, goes out and runs this coyote off. She is out tracking it, like, get out of here. And then she gets it to finally leave the big horses who are completely unconcerned and don't even know anything's wrong. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they should. And then she actually tracked it like a little cow horse, getting it all out of the way. And, you know, it was just at that moment, it was like, okay, well, Cricket's obviously like little Wonder Woman is what we're going to carve little Wonder Woman into her little um, rear with the clippers when she, when, uh, when we can, uh, because she's so cute and so like such a sweet little animal. But the thing about it is that this is the reason that our dogs have to have a rabies shot. So this coyote was moving a little weird. It's the middle of the day. I know he ate two chickens the other night and he busted into the chicken house and got those because those were gone and it was the same barking from the dogs. So, I mean, it's not the first time this dog or this coyote has been preying on our property. So, I mean, you know, when you've got that kind of wildlife around and you have, you know, there's fox, you can hear them, everything like that, just on a farm situation. We had to vaccinate our animals, even our horses for rabies, because you just don't know. Um, in that situation. So um, something, you know, to think about, it is also the law here in Illinois that you do have to vaccinate your animals. I mean, we, we can do exemptions, but the one thing we can do that really does work and it works for a lot of animals is detox. So this, you know, beginning of the new year is a great time to do something like that. For sure. Because, um, Annual vaccination and annual vaccine <laughs> risk assessment is really important in a situation like ours. Those are questions that are uh, actually answers we should give to the veterinarian. Uh, and we do question every client that comes in for annual vaccine. What's your pet going to be exposed to or what have they been exposed to to make sure that they have protection against uh, the various viruses that wildlife can can take. It's more like defensive driving. We want to protect our pets from those things outside of our house uh, that can affect our pets in some different ways. And so, but 
we want when we're vaccinating, we want to make sure that they have a good experience afterwards if we have to. You know, yeah. we talk about, well, if, if they're in the backyard, if you're out there in the backyard with them, if you're uh, if they rarely go anywhere, if they're not boarded, things like that, those are called low risk. Now, medium risk is that, yeah, we do go to parks and places like that. You could um, encounter some wildlife, something right. like that could happen. But the reality, you know, for us is just it's a high risk area. So Right. Ours is high risk because we live out in the country. Yeah. We have exposure to wildlife and multiple animals right. on, you know, at our house. So right. everybody has to be vaccinated for us. So, so we're starting um, a detox program and we'd love it if you guys wanted to do a detox challenge with us. Um, you could do it for yourself actually, but uh, for pets. So our detox challenge is going to be starting with a few things that you can pick up just about anywhere. And the first one um, that you like to use when you're detoxing is Thuya. Thuya 30C is It's T-H-U-J-A, pronounced Thuya. And it comes in um, a little, the little homeopathic things that are Mm. blue and they come out like BBs. Little blue and white bottles. Yeah. So I never quite understand how you're supposed to dose anybody with those little BB things. Well, for dogs, especially small dogs, it's about a quarter of a human. So they may take just one a day for seven days post-vaccination. Uh, a small to medium-sized dog may take two. Uh, a larger dog may take three, uh, even up to four. Mm-hmm. And um, by doing it post-vaccination, what it's doing is it's, if, if we think about homeopathy, it's kind of strange. It's treating like for like. So a rabies vaccination, for example, if we had a true vaccinosis, we may see neurologic changes, just like Benzo, we may see biting and scratching. Uh, and different symptoms. Well, homeopathy, thuya, in its fully concentrated state, would cause those responses, those symptoms. But homeopathically, when that's diluted out, it's diluted out all the way, so there's no active ingredient in there anymore. The idea is it's treating really the bioenergy of the body, so the bioterrain, and so it resets that. So it's actually treating like for like. Mm. Now it's kind of strange, but at the same yeah, I know, time, it's kind of that, weird. yeah, that's the woo woo part of, of, of medicine. Of homeopathy. Right. Homeopathy yeah. is really. Now homeopathy really cool. was getting really popular. And then um, I guess it just completely was cut off. Yes. Back uh, years ago, uh, the actual medical schools were homeopathic med schools. Oh really? And holistic schools in which we learned about medicine more naturally. But as time went on, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, governing group of the either AVMA or AMA um, started to regulate into um, more clinical, more clinical relationship, more evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And so, uh, unfortunately, those schools went by the wayside in favor of more traditional schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, you know, obviously a lot of medical training was done uh, homeopathically. Yeah. Stephanie, uh, thanks for watching today. Don, I'm glad to see you with us. And Sherry, uh, we're going to be getting to your question in just a few minutes. Um, And Albert, you too have a happy new year as well. (laughs) So um, another option is something to give your pet. Um, So in our case, we're looking to kind of strengthen skin, 
regrow hair that is being lost from this constant chronic itching that the poor dog has. So silica is something that can be used for that. You really like silica as an option. Yeah. Silica is like the, yeah, these are um, both uh, homeopathic type remedies that, as I mentioned earlier, work on the biofilm, bioenergy of the body. Okay. And so, um, but there's others, you know, we, uh, there's, there's more Western uh, herbs, especially burdock, is considered a Western herb. Uh, it's a liver detox, or basically detoxing what's the a, liver. What's a Western herb? What does that mean? Well, Western herbs are more traditional in the United States. Okay. Uh, in which the uh, even the Native Americans had a lot of, oh. of herbs that were developed in the yeah. United States, uh-huh. and so um, this is called more Western herbal remedies. Uh, Eastern herbal remedies or Chinese medicine, um, in which those. Uh, plants are native to more of the eastern, especially in China, um, where these are developed. Uh, you're not going to see those plants as readily available in the United States. Okay. So that's the difference. All right. Nettle is also an herb that I accidentally picked once. And boy, does that sting. It's called stinging nettle for a reason. <laughs> it really, really hurt. Um, but it has a lot of good properties to it as well because um, it increases or decreases inflammation. So nettle is a potential for Benjo's particular case and a lot yeah. of other animals that are facing that. Because you, uh, and the cool thing, if we think about it, okay, when you came across nettle, uh, you felt the stinging, yes. uh, itching, irritation, burning sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what exactly what it treats like for like. So it's, oh, it's really? kind of strange. Oh, that's interesting. See how that works. All so right. It, I got it. It, uh, it actually reverses the, the process because your body, when it's taken internally, you're processing it and it puts it into a state that says, okay, now it's, an, it's a tool for, as a remedy for that inflammation versus the body just reacting to it. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's histamine being released and then that goes and decreases inflammation. For sure. The histamine is one of the ingredients, cytokines is another one. Um, prostaglandins, um, they're also involved in the inflammatory response. It's just the body's natural reaction to foreign material. Okay. So we think, but why do some dogs react to it? You could have a hundred dogs go out in the meadow, in a meadow and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, only one or two react, the rest didn't. Well, what happened? Well, it's called genetic expression. The, the genetic expression of those two dogs who did respond, uh, or different than the dogs, the 98 dogs that did not respond. So it's just how their, gene- their genes are built. Now, genes are genes. It doesn't care what the inputs are. But some genes express differently. Some turn on when they're exposed to certain things, and some turn off when they're exposed to certain things. Mm-hmm. So it just uh, depends you know, right. on which uh, individual we're talking about. Okay. A lot of people find a milk thistle a great option for um, detox, but... I think I've read that you have to kind of be careful with this. Yeah, like a lot of detox formulas, um, over time, as you're you're treating the condition, once the condition is resolved, you don't want to necessarily use them as a vitamin and just keep using them. because uh, Or you want to go on a maintenance dose, which is much lower than the more traditional dose. Mm -hmm. So because it can have reverse effects over time, it can actually create inflammation. 
create digestive oh, problems yeah. if uh, given too long. I think it can be hard on your liver after a while. Right. Like it's maybe uh, how many days would you actually prescribe milk thistle to someone? Usually uh, anywhere from three weeks up to six months, depending on how they're responding and what the condition is. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. So it would be pretty serious though, if you're going to go to six month route. Yeah. You, okay. you would have more of a liver disease condition versus a and detox it's, condition. It's uh, silymarin. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Silymarin right. is a very, very good one. It's, it cleans the gallbladder out and uh, the Denosil SD4, it actually supports the liver. So the liver can detox move the toxins into the gallbladder. And that's where the marin comes in to make sure that everything's open. So once the liver's dumping toxins into the bile, into the gallbladder, it goes out with the bile and then outside uh, once they go to the bathroom. Okay. All right. Okay. So another thing that is good for elimination. So, I mean, it's a little gross to talk about, but is um, psyllium. So you probably know it as Metamucil. So <laughs> there's a reason people take this. Um, it's a husk. It absorbs toxins. Um, it swells and pushes waste products out and then detoxes at the same time. So it's actually a pretty good deal. And we actually prescribe a lot of psyllium mm -hmm. around here. Just like you said, you know, it's a great for absorption as those toxins are moving through. You've got something there that's going to put them in a vehicle that's more safe. It's mm -hmm. absorbed, sort of like a sponge. Just Make sure that, okay, it's going out, one thing, it's absorbed, but then once it gets there, uh, there's enough stimulation to get the signals to the brain. Okay, let's push this waste out now. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. And then another natural diuretic, so kind of gets your pet to maybe shed off a little of the extra water that might be associated with inflammation um, would be dandelion. Mm -hmm. So dandelion, I don't think you can really go wrong with dandelion. It's a pretty good all arounder. It is great for the liver, great for the kidneys. Kidneys also part of the detox program too, um, because it's once it's processed by the liver, it may send it up to the kidney and say, okay, you take this one. It's more water soluble. Mm. Um, it's going to head out that way. So, um, but uh, dandelion's an awesome one. You think about just being a, uh, you know, a lot of us probably sprayed for dandelions when we were younger right. in the in the yards <laughs> yeah. and picked now them. Now I can't and, wait till they come out. Right now, <laughs> I need that. <laughs> medicine comes in strange <laughs> packages, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> Who knew? We'd all be sitting around later wishing for dandelions. Right. So, um, okay. So, if you were going to choose, like, how many of these would you want to add to your pet's diet? Do you do it in the water? How do you do all of this? First of all, one thing I would like to say, though, is milk thistle, since it is such a heavy herb and there are like different responses and you kind of should be monitored with milk thistle because it is uh, very powerful. Um, I, there are veterinary grade products that are made by companies to control like dosing and stuff like that for milk thistle. So you should probably talk to a provider about that and make sure you've got the right milk thistle product because they, they do make them professionally for dogs and cats. So this isn't one that you probably want to wing it with. Right. You can get yourself into a bit of a bind. You don't want to hurt your pet. So that's like number one, what we don't want to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So just with that said, out of all the things you've listed, would you use them all? Would you use like one or two? How's that work? Well, it depends on the patient. You know, if they're coming in with any symptoms or you just want a regular detox, uh, if it's just a regular t detox, you can choose one of those. In this list, any one of those is going to do the trick. 
if you have um, you know pets that are maybe experiencing what they call a stage two event, which is a little more symptomatic, like benzo. Uh, we, so that's itching, hot spots, yeah. all kinds of things. Yeah, you know, maybe Constant twitching, uh, things okay. like that. Um, that's where we come in with Thuya. We'd probably add the burdock root as a nutritional supplementation. Uh, we'd probably talk about diet as a cleansing diet, maybe fasting a little bit uh, for him. And more severe cases, uh, we're definitely going off the grid. Uh, we're not vaccinating anymore, uh, especially Benzo would, would be what they call a vaccine reactor. So he would be eligible for uh, you know, a, an exemption for the vaccination. Or, um, I would probably titer test him personally and then right. figure out a way to vaccinate him in the future because just gets, you know, I mean, there's so much going on in our house right, right. and he spends a lot of time outside. So it's, he's not like a typical like couch dog. He would like to be, but right. it's not all he has to do all day. If we're, they're experiencing a gastrointestinal upset, the psyllium works really well along with dandelion. Uh, if we see medical changes, like afterwards, if we drew blood work and we saw that the liver enzymes were up and the kidney enzymes uh, were up just a little bit, then we might uh, decide to use dandelion root as well, mm -hmm. especially with the more severe reaction. Right. Uh, Claire, um, Jody, Sandy, and Laura, thank you for joining us today. Um, you can also uh, just write any questions you have in there. I see Facebook gives you an option to bring people on camera while you're doing your your podcast now. Oh, wow, so that's cool. I know that's <laughs> just wait, I may be calling. You. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll see you in just a few minutes. Have you had a chance to check out voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson, continuing our discussion today about ways to detox your pet. So, you know, you can get some advice from a holistic vet. We can uh, do all sorts of things to help you and just challenging you guys to just run your pet through a detox because it actually is a good thing. Um, does every pet need it? I guess not. But if you're eating a commercial diet, if the pet is, 
experiencing any like chronic issues, you know, a detox really isn't that bad of an idea. So, you know, some good things there as far as uh, detoxing goes. Right. You don't even have to really do it for a vaccine. You can just do a general detox. Um, how so, often to do that? It kind of depends. I, you, uh, we often, uh, even as humans, uh, do a, a, what they call fasting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, our dogs and, and our pets should fast. Uh, cats, probably not so much, mm-hmm. you know, but dogs definitely uh, a half a meal fast or whole meal fast uh, is not a bad idea. It helps to cleanse the body, recruits the best cells uh, to move on. It gets rid of redundant cells because the body says, well, uh, the food's not quite as available as it was, uh, so I'm going to get rid of redundant cells, including cancer cells. I think uh, every species has cancer cells looming at any given time, and so we don't want to feed them. We don't want to give them uh, a head start uh, when, when life's good. Yeah. So we want to make Picking it a little rougher condition. Like super helpful, too. So we are going back to making our own raw dog food. Um, mm-hmm. We did that for a really long time, taken breaks from it, gone to different foods. Um, I would consistently feed Farmina anyway. That's um, totally fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I think with Benjo's, condition. Um, we're going to go ahead and just go with uh, the raw diet. So I've had a lot of people ask questions about the raw diet, especially one specific problem that they have is that right after they start feeding it, um, there's always diarrhea. And I see this a lot. We have a lot of people asking questions about it when we prescribe a raw diet here at Riverside. Um, so is it that they like went too fast? And if it's like bloody diarrhea, why is that so common when you're feeding a raw diet? Well, in more se- severe cases of dysentery, um, it, it created an inflammatory response, which is uh, sometimes normal, especially if we didn't uh, take the switch over gradually. But most of the time, you'll still see mild diarrhea. And the reason is, is that they're trying to rebalance. Food is therapy, so you're just treating them with food as a medicine. Mm-hmm. And so the body's responding, going, okay getting rid of redundant cells, getting rid of redundant toxin, um, the gut flora is shifting. Um, and so that's what you usually experience with more inflammatory diarrhea mm-hmm. is that you're just getting rid of the worst bacteria and getting good microbiome flora in there, uh, which takes a little bit in transition. So um, it's like gardening. You know, it's going to take a while if the garden hasn't been used for a while and it's been a little depleted mm-hmm. in order to get the fertilizer and the right uh, microbes into the garden again to make uh, wonderful, beautiful plants. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, my phone keeps ringing because I'm popular today. Um, so a uh, question from Stephanie. Besides the obvious of cutting food, our dogs are labs and eat everything. If we cut their food, they find other things to eat, in the, including firewood in the backyard. <laughs> So, okay, you've got some hungry little chickens there, it sounds like. Well, it, if you're, if you're uh, feeding a more raw food diet or whole food diet, uh, you're not going to see the binging. And you're not going to see in Chinese medicine what they call stomach fire, where they're trying to put things into their gut to reduce inflammation and reduce heat. Uh, so um, on the raw food diets, they're going to be much more satisfied. Uh, or whole food diets, if you make the diet, or if you use something like Farmina, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, uh, you know, it's, a, it's compressed raw food. It's more of a dry food looking consistency, uh, can also be used as well. And so it, they're going to be more satisfied. They're not going to be, uh, uh, you know, scavenging for things. Dogs are natural scavengers, mm-hmm. but they're going to do a lot less when they're satisfied. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And, and whole food does that? 
whole food does that. You know, it, and the reason is it's sort of a processed food can sometimes bring on uh, the hungries. And if, for example, if I eat oatmeal in the morning, it gets really hungry. carbs, right? Because it's carbs. Well, there's carbs in there. Fine carbs. Um, and then also the the processing of the protein, even in grain-free diets, it basically gets absorbed too quickly. It doesn't stimulate serotonin. It stimulates dopamine. Now, dopamine gives you the satisfaction, just like eating uh, a McDonald's hamburger. Is that wow? I could eat another one and another one. Trips dopamine. It's just a quick reward. Your serotonin is much more relaxing, more sustainable, and so the processing when they're absorbing it too quickly, they don't get that satiety or satisfaction, and they're more hungry right away, or just a few hours they're hungry again. So that's where the the whole food it's low and slow. It basically just takes its time absorbing. Mm-hmm. And so it's more sustainable throughout the day. Even one meal, if you decide to feed them just one whole food meal in the morning. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's more sustainable. All right. Amanda has a question today. Uh, what do you do for a hyperthyroid cat? We've lived this one. Yeah. <laughs> We're still living it, actually. Um, we've had a 17-year-old cat named Tutu. He's so old that our kids are almost in college. One is almost in college and one is in college. And I remember coming home and getting him out of a Fisher Price dollhouse. <laughs> One of them went to preschool. She thought that's where he belonged, so she put him in her Fisher Price dollhouse. So that's how old this cat is. Yeah. He's a great cat. He's very cute, very fun, and he's still a, a really happy go lucky kitty. So he's an indoor outdoor cat, and he also. Um, you know, you just started to have some weird signs. Throwing up was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few little things here and there, and he became pretty thin. Right. Usually cats um, that have hyperthyroid are typically uh, the average cat would be over 15 years of age. Um, usually a very good to ravenous appetite, um, weight loss, um, and, and as you mentioned, uh, kind of a, a rough hair coat, kind of an unkempt appearance, maybe mm-hmm. some, a lot of matting uh, going on, um, and, but very hyper energy. Maybe if you try to hold them, they're, they're very uh, ADHD uh, one up, the one to run around or right. get away from you, or yeah. And, and uh, typically, the thyroids are enlarged uh, because they're overactive. They're producing too much thyroid hormone. Great weight loss program, but at the same time, it's, it, it causes a lot of disease issues. You don't feel so good on it either. Right? No, it's yeah. uh, it messes with the blood pressure. And they can be have high blood pressure, which the kidneys don't like that. The heart doesn't like that. Uh, and over time uh, can lead to some pretty serious problems related to that. And uh, how to treat it, though, um, most, you know, at least initially, you want to get that thyroid level down. So taking a more Western or traditional approach, product called methimazole can be applied to the ear transdermally twice a day to get the levels more, uh, more regulated. That's the fastest way to do that. But then over time, we can think about using more integrative medicine to try to help the body manage its own thyroid condition. And so uh, we can consider diet, we can consider supplementation, acupuncture, uh, all of those things to help manage because you can control the thyroid levels, but it's not sustainable in controlling, it's not uh, healing the disease. You want the body to try to heal itself after the crisis is over, after getting the thyroid level down. 
So can you have radio, there's some radioactive treatment that can be done too. Right. And that's uh, become uh, popular as well for the right candidates. They do, uh, most of the time, these uh, older kitties have some other issue with their blood work. Maybe the kidney levels are higher. Maybe their liver levels are off or something like that. Uh, They do have healthy blood work. Um, You can go uh, to have what they call a radioisotope injected into the thyroids. It's usually a two-week process of radioactive material injected in there. That actually can be a cure for the disease itself Mm -hmm. more long-term. It's it's not necessarily sustainable because they still have the imbalance that created it. They just don't have the thyroids there to cause the symptoms anymore. Oh, okay. So you still have to, you know, in my opinion, every patient should, uh, uh, should have a whole health care plan, uh, whether they're diagnosed with a disease or not. It's important uh, for, to help the body balance itself when it's uh, got a disease or if we just want to keep them healthy. One of our technicians worked at uh, the place where you take your cat and have it scanned and everything. Yeah, so radio like, cat, uh, yeah. Radio cat. That's in the Chicago suburbs. They probably wouldn't have something like that in every town. No. Um, So you might end up having to go somewhere um, bigger, um, you know, bigger city or something uh, who would have treatments like that available. It's become more affordable. Um, Yeah. Remember years ago it was, you know, $10,000 initially to have that done. Now it can be done for less than $1,000. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, you know, by the time you do all of the other work, depends on your schedule, your time, your availability, you know, and it may just end up working out better for people to make that investment. Yeah, because it's a daily commitment, um, twice a day commitment to make sure that they're getting their meds. And um, if you have a, a, a busy lifestyle and you're not able to remember, you know, that's definitely an option. Um, there is one diet uh, out called YD from Hill Science Diet that's also a feedable type food, especially if you have a single cat household. Um, it, it can be a great maintenance. I do have a few patients on that. Choo-choo um, was on that for a Choo-choo while. Choo-choo was on that. Oh, good. Went out. It, it, it that was, was what really helped make him feel better. So, yeah, you know, some of the holistic well the type-minded people don't believe in any of the um, veterinary diets, but they're there for a reason and they do work. Right. So maybe not have all the ingredients that you think it should have or something, but, um, you know, they it, it is a good treatment option is to, is to feed your treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And now, because we did that, and we just changed his environment, mm-hmm. he's on a Farmina diet, mm-hmm. now he's not on the medicine. Yeah. He's not on the diet, he's not on the medicine. And he's asymptomatic. There's no symptoms that yeah. he has at all. So. Exactly. He's a brat. I mean, he, he actually is a brat. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good kitty. Yeah. So, um, sticking with the cat questions here, Sherry has one. Um, her cat, uh, she showed us a picture, so on the side, on his lips. He has some scabs forming on there, and she wants to know what should she do. Um, I've seen this happen in our Persian cats because they would get food lodged in in there because they're you know their face is kind of weird and uh, they have kind of a really wide mouth and lips that kind of hang over pretty heavily, and so they would get like buildup of food inside their mouth. But mm. this looks just a little bit different. It looks more like herpes or something like that. Yeah, lip fold pyoderma is kind of the working diagnosis, but it is similar to canker sores and inflammatory sores. Uh, cats, uh, they were exposed to herpes or virus when they were kitties. Uh, that's one of the symptoms later on that can stimulate inflammation around the lip. So uh, products like um, 
or kitty bloom uh, using super lysine can, can be a nice antiviral. Also, the, the uh, kitty bloom uh, VM Supreme, which we have right there. Um, Tastes like real cheddar cheese. Yeah. The cats love it. Uh, eighth of a teaspoon once a day to the diet is sufficient. Um, and that's a good dietary supplement for the inflammation. Um, also, um, vitamin C, very, very good anti-inflammatory uh, to add to the cat's diet. And usually you can get it in powdered form, about an eighth, eighth of a teaspoon a day until uh, symptoms resolve. We have um, that too. We have that. These yeah. are all from uh, Bloom Products, West Milton, Ohio. And um, I don't know, we've had other people use lysine like in a chew or other lysine products and they really didn't get anywhere. This though is the one that we always prescribe and it always has results. Definitely cat caviar. They love it. Yeah. It's, um, it's good for them. So, so this brand in particular, I'm a super fan. <laughs> Works well. And, and um, in rarer cases, you know, the, the question is, can you apply something topically? It's really hard because it's right by the mouth. Uh, they're usually licking it off right away. Um, the, the medication, we, the things we want to avoid, um, unless we necessarily have to, is any type of anti-inflammatory antibiotic with this uh, because um, it is an immune response to something like the virus that's there. And so we, we don't want to be immunosuppressive unless we absolutely have to. Can you get that from your cat? No, no. It's uh, species-specific for sure. Uh, they can't spread it to... Uh, you know, to, to humans or vice versa. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. All right, very good. Okay, and then um, Mark has a question. Um, Mark says he has a 20-month-old dog, 21-month-old dog. It has the symptoms of idiopathic canine head tremors. These are common in labs, Dobermans, boxers, and English bulldogs. What, what is this idiopathic thing, and what does it mean exactly? Like, what do you see when you see a head tremor like this? Well, idiopathic head trauma, or, or head tremors, I should say, not head trauma, is, um, is a condition that's um, been shown in various videos where um, it's brought on by excitement. So say, uh, for example, you come home, your pet's really excited, and all of a sudden they just start tremoring. Um, it can last uh, several minutes. Um, they seem to be coherent, so not no loss of, of valves or, or consciousness at all. Um, a lot of neurologists feel it's not a seizure, but it can definitely act like one. Uh, it's, it's called um, a symmetrical dyskinesia, which the brain is just sending a weird signal to the muscles. Okay. Um, uh, there's no, uh, it, the reason they say idiopathic is there's no known reason for it. All right. But at the same time, the cure is just, uh, there isn't really a cure uh, per se in, in traditional medicine. But they say that after a few minutes, you know, if you distract them, you know, give them treats, pet them, uh, scratch them on the belly, eventually it stops. Okay. But a standard workup is important to make sure that there's nothing else, even an MRI scan to make sure there's no mm -hmm. growth or tumor or anything like that. Uh, Chinese medicine is the one uh, remedy that I would uh, use for this pet. Uh, it's, in Chinese medicine, they call that Jing deficiency because it happened before three years of age. Okay, and so uh, there was some sort of, um, of weakness in the Jing um, that caused what they call external wind. And external wind is how the Jing deficiency affects the liver. And so um, with the liver uh, being affected, 
uh, that can have an effect on behavior. So in Chinese medicine, they call that internal or external wind. So a product like Ditantong is an excellent choice uh, as a prescription herb uh, to help control that. Diet's um, really important too. You don't you want to uh, avoid um, uh, you know food that's more hot foods like lamb or chicken. Um, you want to avoid damp foods as well. Um, you want to consider fish, which would be a good cooling food, um, and and that's the the place of or the diet of choice that I would start with. Um, and then also uh, just activities that reduce anxiety. So in case of a hunting dog or hunting breed, for example, um, a lot of outdoor activity to get that extra energy out. Um, a lot of dog, dogs sometimes spend a lot of time inside during the winter mm-hmm. um, and they sometimes the symptoms can be worse with that. But uh, yeah, like, yeah, from what I understand um, in the video I saw of it, it's like they either make a yes, no motion or a um, so either of those, either the yes or the no type motion, or they're mm-hmm. just like a bobblehead where their head just kind of sits on their neck and kind of yeah. bobbles around. I've actually seen that in dogs before. I just didn't know it was anything. I mm-hmm. just thought it was a particular movement of a dog. I didn't know that. So. Yeah, I see it more um, more hunting breeds, even like Brandy or, or uh, Border Collie mm-hmm. uh, will tremor a little bit um, once she gets excited. Uh, you know the metal breeds, like the the, the herding breeds, uh, you'll you'll see a lot more of those neuromuscular behaviors hmm. uh, as well. But um, not dangerous to them, but definitely something uh, to look at. And and it actually can be um, there's some level of cure with the uh, with with using alternative remedies. Uh, so consider having a, a TCVM diagnosis and uh, yeah. use herbs along with uh, with just home care. Okay. All Um, So hopefully that helps you guys with all your questions. If you have any more, you just let us know, okay? Um, So we have a new product that's out that we're carrying, new to us. So um, it's the Royal Canin Hematuria Detector. Mm -hmm. Didn't I say that right? Yeah, we did. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Technology by Blue Care. Why don't you explain what this does? Well, um, you know, urinary tract issues uh, called feline lower urinary tract disease is a very, very common uh, issue in cats, especially uh, from one to three years of age, but we can also see it in, in older cats as well. Um, and, and the condition is the pH of the urine increases above six and, to six and a half or goes below six. The ideal pH of urine is six to 6.5. And so uh, the cool thing about this uh, hematuria detection uh, is that it will actually detect if there's blood in the urine, which is one of the more subtle signs of uh, feline lower urinary tract disease is they will have the condition called hematuria. It doesn't mean that you would actually see blood in the urine, but sometimes you do if they are urinating outside the litter box. But oftentimes, once they go in the box, you won't see it because it's intermixed with the urine. This actually will help to signal and detect that. Um, And it's also very good for, uh, I believe you can also manage uh, pH changes with this product as well. Mm -hmm. We have, I think, a pH changing litter here too that you can just buy over the counter as well. So nice little extra product if you don't know. And a lot of times it's hard to tell if you have a multi-cat household which one is doing it. So if you can separate them with separate litter box, this will help you find out who's got the trouble. It's really good for for, uh, post-treatment care to be sure that, okay, did it actually get better? 
you know, after the antibiotic treatments, uh, a lot of the cats are on antibiotics uh, because they have a, the, the urinary tract infection part of it, which is bacteria is colonizing the, the urinary bladder. All right. All right. Good. So, you know, um, vaccines are on a lot of people's minds right now because of COVID um, and the vaccine that has come out for this disease. And, you know, the one thing I think everybody is concerned about, obviously, are side effects and reactions. And obviously, for vaccines, it's a really hot topic, whether you're human, pet, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> getting a vaccine. So, um, I think a lot of people are just really concerned, first of all, about the side effects, but how do you avoid getting uh, specific side effects? Would that be having a better immune system going in? If you know you have to have vaccines or you're a believer in vaccines and you're going to do it, is that the way you can try to avoid anything bad happening? It's really hard because um, there's no really pre-test to tell if they're going to have a vaccinosis. Although the SRT program does pick up on vaccine sensitivity, um, so prior to vaccination and SRT analysis could be run to see uh, mm -hmm. if their bioenergy is off, because once you put the vaccine into the lymphatic system, um, there, it'll set off a reaction if the pet is susceptible to it. But a lot of pets are healthy that have reactions, so there was no way to know ahead of time. They don't have a fever. They're not acting weird or anything like that. It's just uh, even after you know several vaccines, all of a sudden they can have a reaction. Mm -hmm. So there's no real way to detect it. Uh, we do have to be uh, prudent about vaccination. We don't want to blanket vaccinate just because. We want to do the risk assessment and make determinations for the year to be sure that they're getting the appropriate vaccination and protection, but also uh, to address the concerns of vaccine reaction and also to protect the pets. So a uh, blanket vaccine is, is not, in my opinion, responsible because uh, it's just putting a lot of vaccines in the system they may or may not need. Titering is really important uh, for distemper and parvo. Rabies titering, at, at least in my opinion, um, it's not recognized as a replacement for vaccine. It, is a, it can be an expensive test. And uh, the test that I've, uh, the rabies test that we've done uh, for pets that have gone internationally or just wanted to know, have always come back as a good positive titer. So um, we know for sure that they do have titers to that, uh, but the distemper parvo is immeasurable um, and uh, a titer, and it can last uh, for three years. You do it again, and some dogs have gone most of the rest of their life without additional vaccination. Not always, either. though. The distemper parvo, I feel like, is one that you really have to just, you really have to know. Yeah. Like, not every dog is going to come back uh, with a, is it a positive titer? Right. right. You just don't know because sometimes they don't. And then we make decisions on, okay, is that is that sufficient, even though they do have a titer, but it's not strong enough? Is there enough um, of a threat right. that you need to worry about right. needing so, a titer at all? It's really the truth about vaccination. It's not, uh, so it, it takes a lot more responsibility, but I think as pet owners, we have to be responsible. Um, it's like, like I said before, it's like defensive driving. Yeah. You're defending your pet against the things outside of the home that they could encounter. Um, it, it, there's always arguments on both sides. If mm -hmm. you don't vaccinate and they get lepto, you say, well, why didn't you vaccinate? Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if they, uh, if they have a reaction to the lepto vaccine, well, why did you vaccinate? <laughs> well, it's important. To, that's why it's important yeah. to have that conversation and, and understand why am I vaccinating. Uh, you know, the tighter, they should be vaccinated once and then never again. 
you know, the titers don't reflect that. I can oh. definitely tell you that after looking at so, 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 so many of them because we do a lot of them here. There's some so. folks out there that say that you can uh, take your unvaccinated pet or your, your, your pet into a shelter and just let them walk around and they're vaccinated. I don't, you know, it, it, there's no proof there. Now, you can, you'd have to measure it and do a controlled study. Mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to know if you Maybe could do that. a controlled study. But That'd be all right. Yeah, they'd do a controlled study on that to, to determine, okay, I'm going to send uh, 10 naive dogs or, or 50 naive dogs into a, a shelter situation and then measure titers pre and post to make sure they didn't have a natural titer uh, to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. if there's none under controlled studies, but just to blanket say that you can run your dog to a shelter and, and get them vaccinated. It's, it's not responsible for folks mm-hmm. because not every pet, how do you know for sure? You know, how do you know, was it, uh, you know, what, did they have the tighter ahead of time or, or what? I, I just think it, it breeds more confusion and, uh, and more animosity. That, and a lot of, yeah. And you contempt. Know, and contempt. Contempt you know, for vets who yeah. do vaccinate. And, right. you know, sometimes you have to. No, I mean, we have, we have to do it. And right. it's just, you know, because of our living situation. But there's so. right ways to do it. Do it right, not mm-hmm. just vaccinate, but vaccinate correctly. And like I've always said, if somebody tries to give you six vaccines at one time, stand up and walk out the door. It's a corporate practice. Uh, it's a mentality that, I mean, I certainly don't believe in it. I know you don't believe in it because you don't do that. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's what's going on, move on. So that's probably not going to be the safest thing or the healthiest thing for your animal is it wrong no i mean they can do it so that's how that one goes so anyway um so our vaccine uh associated adverse events common in pets one in 250 canine patients had some form of post-vaccination reaction so that's 13 reactions per one or 10,000 vaccines given. Most of those are small breed dogs. So this is something you have to be really careful about. They're also young from one to three years of age, which is interesting. So I kind of want to know a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. And neutered male dogs are more the type to end up with a vaccine reaction. Yeah, there's there's no correlation between neutering and, and vaccine that we know of, but it, it seems to be statistically. It's always uh, a neutered male dog. Dogs that are more represented that way um, probably have some sort of uh, uh, response to, uh, you know, the neutering process and not having testosterone. testosterone. Yeah. Maybe there's some yeah. link to that. It'd be a great study though. Yeah, it sure would be. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, and you should be getting like a, a handout from your vet about what the side effects are, educate yourself, go online, figure out what to watch out for before your pet has an, act, uh, an actual reaction. So those are, you know, pretty easily doable things for you. Um, and then talk to your vet about it before they do give vaccines. So anyway, we're glad you joined us today. And thanks so much. I hope you have a great new year and we'll be seeing you soon. Have a great day. Happy new year. Bye. Thank you for listening this week to awesome woo woo holistic vet advice please join your host dr jim and kristen carlson again next thursday morning at 8 a.m pacific time and 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel now go make some time with your best friend